Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahe. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. Welcome to another episode of our show and uh, I'm really privileged to have with me a, a guest who really knows more about this kind of software and IT than I do. He has literally a lifetime in information technology before he made a, a significant change and 11 years ago he became the managing director of a company called My Staff Shop. Now uh, David Cartledge is uh, an incredible human being. I've heard a lot of good things things about him and as soon as uh, you know I'd uh, heard more about him I thought I just need to have him on the show as a guest. David, welcome to the show. It's really great to have you here. Cole, it's, it's my absolute privilege to be on this. Now, I just need to correct one thing. I was only the managing director about nine months ago. I joined the company about 11 years ago. <laughs> yeah, okay. I was the IT director before that. I was going to say, you still had a very, very senior position in the organization and you've been leading it now for nine months. Yeah? Nine months. Was the, uh, the and you're doing some incredible work. Um, I, I mean, I had never heard of my staff shop, David, if I'm honest, until I had a meeting uh, with uh, two of your uh, leadership uh, team. And I have to say, the more I found out about it, the more intrigued I became. And then suddenly had this like explosion of realization in my head as to what, what it is that you do and why it's so important. Do you want to just explain what My Staff Shop is all about? Yeah. So My Staff Shop is a uh, employee benefits platform, essentially. And we exist to help employers to uh, reward, engage and retain and recruit uh, their staff within their organization. And we fit a long size organizational strategy when they're working on their policies, their strategies and, and their culture. And we sit alongside that to help to communicate that and help to give extra value, make stra salaries stretch, tick those boxes of recognition, whether it be monetary or peer to peer. And that whole sort of piece around making people feel more valued and getting more value from their employer. So it's, it's, it's almost like a rewards recognition package, some benefits to the, the employees. How does that, do you think, impact on, and I know this is so very important for you, it's one of your driving factors, how does that impact on creating uh, better workplaces, more employee engagement, better retention rates for organisations and retaining their talent? How, how does what you do impact upon that? Essentially, we, we act as a, uh, or can act, depending on the client we're working with, as a communication hub first and foremost. So the employees come to our platform regularly because we do discounts off their, their regular shopping, for example. So there's a regular visit to our platform and that allows the company to embed their cultures, their messaging within the platform. So they're getting that mm. communication channel, which they perhaps otherwise wouldn't get. 
then within the platform itself, the company can show pay, showcase the benefits that those employees have. And it's not just the discounts or the recognition, but their own internal things, whether that be the salary sacrifice cycle to work scheme or their pension scheme or or days off for your, ho- your birthday, anything that the company thinks is important, they can put through our platform to their employers. And I guess, you know, um, just having the discount and the benefits is quite relevant in, in today's world, you know, with the cost of living uh, so high, uh, to demonstrate that you care about your employees to the point that you are bringing in somebody like my staff shop to afford all these benefits sends a significant but subtle message out to the employees, doesn't it? The, the environment at the moment, you know, companies, the pressures, the costs are going up. It's difficult. They can't just go straight to a pay increase to support their staff. Some people can give, some companies can give one off. Some people can do salary increases. But the My Staff Shop route, the employee benefits route, the discounts, the savings, it's a way of doing that that's much more cost-effective than a baked-in salary increase. Uh, and, and generally, a, fa- a typical family of four, that if they just put their normal spending through my staff shop, they'll be saving around £1,000 a year just for doing what they would yeah. normally do, but through the platform. So it's a real powerful way of saying, yes, we care, we're trying to help, we're all in this together. Here's a way where we're helping you to help yourself. And at the end of the day, as you quite rightly say, not every organisation can give, you know, um, wage increases because this cost of living crisis is also impacting upon organisations in terms of, you know, cost of fuel, cost of uh, uh, upkeep of their buildings, etc., etc., etc. So, so there's an awful lot of increased costs for organisations. So this is a real efficient way, I guess, of, uh, you know, providing some level of financial benefit to your staff uh, whilst ever making it economically uh, viable for you as an organisation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the cost to an organisation to put this in is you're talking pence or pounds a year as opposed to, you know, if you do a thousand pound pay rise, that's employers and I and everything else on top of that. You know, it's, it's a fraction of the cost to get the same end value in terms of the, you know, what's important right now, which is money to spend. Um, so it, it really is a cost effective way of doing it. And, and I've seen over the last 10 years that organizations more and more are seeing this kind of package. And the discounts is just part of the, the overall messaging and communications that can go through it. But the discounts is something now that organizations, it's, it's a must have. It, it's, it's, it's not. It's almost not an optional benefit now. If you've got an organization of people working for you and you don't have one of these platforms in place, you really should because people are starting mm. to expect it. And, and I know that you've talked in previous episodes about things like the Great Resignation and, and people voting with their feet now. People are choosing where they work a lot more and things like these packages that encompass all the benefits and all the value you get from an organisation are, are being seen more as a default than, a, than an optional extra. And, you know, very often uh, I get to speak to all sorts of leaders across all sorts of organisations that I'm working with and, you know, they almost have their head in their hands or they, you know, have this incredible frustration uh, and they'll say things like, cool, you know, we're doing everything we possibly can, but, you know, we still have this incredible leak, uh, leakage of talent or that we're struggling to recruit uh, great talent into the organisation. You know, we're fishing in the same fish pond as our competitors. And for some reason, we don't seem to have that edge. Uh, 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 and from my, 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 from my perspective, 
uh, you know, I'm always talking about, well, you need to create a culture. We need to have a culture uh, that is not necessarily about finances, but it's about where people feel valued, appreciated, heard and seen. That That is right, right at the very core of these recalibrated priorities that people have. You know, I think we've all changed the way that we think uh, since the whole lockdown experience. And I don't think that we're changing back to where we used to be anytime soon, if ever. So we need to adapt and be agile in terms of the way that the world has started thinking and th- and be really out of the box as an organization, as leaders and say, hey, what would, if I were being employed in an organization, what would make me want to be a part of this organization? And beyond that, what would make me want to, to work to my nth degree in the job that I've got, not just to the minimal requirement, but to the nth degree, to my full potential. And in our conversation now, and in, in the conversation that I had with uh, Jamie uh, in, in, in your team, um, my realization was, well, this is something simple that an organization can, can, can bring in. Yes, they need to do all the other work around culture, but this is something really sim- simple and actually quite tangible that they can bring in, which sends a strong message out. Hey, we do care. We understand the, 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 the financial burden or the constrictions that you're, you're in as a moment, uh, at the moment. We might not be able to give you the pay rise, but what we can do is make your life as easy as possible by giving you all of these benefits absolutely and and the the culture piece is is where we can provide huge assistance you need to have an organization that needs to understand what their values are and understand what culture it is they want to have throughout their workplace once they've got that to help them go beyond the poster on the wall with five words they can they can use our recognition system and it could be monetary or non-monetary and some of the best clients they set up their their values, their their things, whether it be communication, collaboration, teamwork, respect, whatever those are, and they set those up within our platform. And then the managers within an organization, the other leaders can then reward financially or non-financially the colleagues that stand out. But the organizations mm-hmm. that really embrace it take it a step further. They use our peer-to-peer recognition and their peer-to-peer also embeds those values. So colleagues... If they think, oh, that person's come over, they've really worked with me, we've collaborated, that's one of our company values. They can send a postcard out, they can put a custom message in or or not, it could just be a straightforward postcode and say, brilliant, collaboration, me and you, that was great, I appreciate that. And that really builds it, because if you've got the the staff in an organisation championing those values, it's just going to ripple out and make a big difference. I love that. It reminds me, David, of uh, when I took over a department uh, when I was in the police service and I took over this particular department. It was one of the largest departments. It had something like three or 400 staff members. And it was also uh, one of those uh, departments where everybody's working so very, very hard. Uh, and it was nonstop. It was, it was relentless. Um, but the culture within that department wasn't the healthiest. You know, we had high levels of turnover. Uh, we had people who were, we had high levels of sickness. We had people who were disengaged. Uh, and one of the things I introduced was peer recognition. Uh, so it was almost like uh, an employee of the month 
kind of uh, philosophy that we adopted. And what we would do is, um, I, I didn't have the budget to bring people like yourself in, but what we would do is simply have a photograph taken with me and I would be presenting a certificate and say, you are now the employee of the month, recognised by your own peers as opposed to by the leadership team. And what I found was that people started talking about this. People genuinely were interested in this peer-to-peer. I saw the banter that people were having on the shop floor and things like that. And it made me realise that when you do something as simple as that, but bring bring it in on a peer-to-peer kind of basis, you can create a whole new conversation uh, just from that. Now, if I were if I had the budget and the ability to take it to an nth degree, I would probably have had some greater benefits to that, uh, more, more aligned to what you're talking about. But I take your point around peer-to-peer. I think that's so very valuable. Uh, and what I love is, you know, we're talking about organisations who take their values beyond the posters on the wall. And I see this all the time. You go onto organisational websites or you go into their buildings and I see it all the time where there's posters, really beautiful looking posters on the wall. But either nobody knows what the values are or even if they know what the values are, the organisational culture doesn't really live those values out. They just look good and they sound good. And I guess, you know, for me... Uh, the true measurement of any organisation is, do you truly live the values of your organisation out? Firstly, do you have values? And secondly, do you actually live them out? And thirdly, do you measure and hold each other to account on those values? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really powerful. Yeah, I, I agree, Cole, absolutely. And and we are one of those organisations that has a poster on the wall. And, it, and, it, and we'll probably get into this a bit more, but it was put there when we were going through this change. And that journey of, of living and understanding those values is, is an ongoing process. And we're quite early in that journey, I would say. So talk to me about your journey with your values. And um, you've had these values, I'm, I'm guessing, for a, a while now, a short while now. What is it in your, in, as you see in your vision uh, as to the, what the journey might look like to buy people into these values? Because actually your, your organisation is quite different as well. Because it's employee owned as well, isn't it? Yeah. So we, up until just almost twelve months ago, we were a shareholder owned company. the The company itself, as the original company, the wealth management, goes back to the seventies. But about twelve years ago, we decided to build in the employee benefits and a sort of insurance side of the business for health and wellness insurance, cancer insurance, those kind of products. Again, for the work for the workplace. Um, so the company changed quite a lot then, but it was a traditional shareholder uh, with an MD who was very successful in his previous business and built this business pretty much from the ground up. And it was very successful, but it was very much, a, I think, a command and control leadership, um, which worked for, for the purpose of what it was there to build this company, to, to generate the money and to add the value and create the value. That was all great. But as, as, as that MD was retiring, we needed somebody else to step forward. Uh, and that became me to step forward and then to try to build a team. So very early on, as part of that exit, sorry, we, we sold the business to an employee ownership trust. So the employees themselves own the business, um, were beneficiaries of the business. So we have to pay the previous shareholders what we owe them because if the money was there to pay them, then the money would have been added to the value of the company. So the value would have been more. So it's a bit of a catch-22, but we have to pay them back over the forthcoming years. But essentially now we own the company, the employees. And we thought, okay, we've got to change the culture. We've got to change that leadership because 
that's not me. I'm not command and control at all. Um, but I don't really know what I am. I just know I wasn't that. So we quite early on asked everybody, all the people, all of our staff, what are, what are our values? What do you think we stand for? We got a whole load of answers. We condensed it down, put it on a post and put it on the wall. And then it's time has passed. And I don't really think as an organization, I have led that value-driven approach very well because I'm still massively learning what I'm doing. And mm -hmm. to take over to be the MD, there's an awful lot of stuff I have to do to just to do with the business itself, never mind looking at the culture and the values, which are very important, but prioritizing, you know, one thing's got to come organically and over a period of time, the business decisions have to be done there and then. So it's a challenge and it's a journey. So those values that are on the wall, Cole, if I'm honest, I couldn't tell you what the words are um, because it is just that poster on the wall. And this mm. is the journey that I'm on at the moment, particularly over the next few weeks, last few weeks, listen, listening to lots of your podcasts to learn how to make that transition and journey. Oh, I shall look forward to your journey with some real interest because yeah, I, I relish that. I relish somebody, an organization that's very early into their process of uh, becoming value driven, uh, but with some real commitment. I sense there's a real commitment from not just yourself, but from your leadership team when I spoke to them. So I know that you will do this. Uh, I, I'm just fascinated. Uh, if it's okay, I, I want to watch the process and see how you do this. And if I can support, then of course I will do. So talking about values, you know, talking about uh, how various organizations have these values, maybe live them out, maybe they don't live them out. Um, many of these values, if we really break it down, a lot of these values are about how our people feel within the organization. And, you know, this is where the name of the, my podcast came from, Human Centered leadership uh, and there's a lot of organizations going through incredible change right now so you know we are living in this uh, the perfect definition of this concept of the VUCA world you know volatile uncertain complex ambiguous this world is shaping reshaping itself and changing all the time quite dynamically and at a, quite a fast pace and it doesn't seem to be uh, uh, stopping this whole change, uh, uh, dynamic change process anytime soon. So consequently, a lot of organizations have to demonstrate, you know, adaptability, agility, all of these kind of words that have become very popularized over the last few years. And often, don't you find that many organizations, when they look at change, they'll think, okay, to become more efficient, we need to change all of these processes you know, and they'll talk about Lean Six Sigma and all this, uh, bringing Prince2 methodology to bring about all of these changes. But in my experience, um, there are two types of changes and they have to go in parallel with each other. There are the processes that need to be changed to become more efficient uh, uh, and drive e uh, efficacy. Then there are the people who have to be a part of that change. And I often get called by organizations say, hey, we've we've tried to bring in all sorts of change into our organization, but we're getting really frustrated with people not buying into it. So I always ask the question, well, what have you done? What's the work that you've done to, to keep your people informed, engaged, uh, be a part of the process? And then they sort, sort of give me blank looks. Now, you've driven some change and you gave me a really a very interesting story from when you were 18 years old and you came into an organization and you realized that the processes need changing. But you had a lot of learning from that experience. Do you want to just share that story with me? Yeah. So it's, it was my first job straight from A-levels. I didn't go to university. Um, I went to work in a distribution warehouse 
Um, and I was working in uh, what's called the returns department. We had loads of books. I was in the books department, loads of books coming back from all the retailers. And we were sorting them on a machine, uh, palletizing them, moving them around and, and putting them back into stock or going back to all being shredded. There was whatever was happening with it. And quite quickly, I realized that it was just really inefficient and it was just unnecessarily hard what people were doing. Uh, and I started to suggest that, hey, why don't we do it this way? By then very quickly, I mean, I had had part-time jobs, I had worked with people, so I wasn't completely naive, but I very quickly realized that if I'm telling someone who's 60 years old how to do their job that they've been doing for years, or somebody that's 19 years old and doesn't really care what I say, I'm not gonna make any change. So I had to very quickly do two things. One, which was to build relationships with the people. Uh, I remember one guy, one of the older guys in particular, we started to play chess together. And we used to have a piece of cardboard. We drew the chessboard on the cardboard. And throughout the day, we would make our moves by just drawing and rubbing out on this chessboard. And we'd hand it back. And a bit later on, we'd pass. And, and I started to build those relationships. But then I also built the relationships with my manager to give him the confidence that I was, you know, making suggestions that were sensible. And and over a period of time, it wasn't too long, people started to go along with that. But I did upset people along the way and someone did actually get fired because they they refused to do what I was suggesting. They just said, no, I'm not doing it. My boss promoted me to something called an assistant supervisor and said, because they were saying, you've got no authority. So my boss promoted me and said, now he has. Now, if David suggested something, you do it. And they refused and they lost their job. But I think people looking in on that saw that I was being fair because I've had the conversations with them. I tried to get them to come along with the journey. And in the end, it all worked out and things were a lot better. And people saw the improvements. They saw that their job was a bit easier as a result of the change. But it was a difficult a difficult, difficult time. Yeah, it's not easy. It's particularly if you're like the young person coming in, suggesting the changes. I remember um, way back in time now, like 30 years ago, uh, when I returned back to the police station where I had started off as a very young police officer. Uh, and many of the, the very, very experienced cops were still there. And I returned back as a sergeant. So I now became their their sergeant. And uh, I mean, some of these were like really tough guys, you know, really seasoned veterans, ex-army, ex-military, all sorts of things. Um, and I remember that, uh, I, I, you know, I did a sort of an analysis on how we did things. I could see that a lot needed changing. And uh, I had a very similar experience to yourself. You know, I was I was young. I was, uh, uh, you know, very dynamic at the time. And I just wanted to drive change through. And I tried that and I fell flat on my face. And it was that moment that I realized, you know, you have these times in your life where you just, something just hits you in the face and you realize that you need to do things differently. That is when I realized the, 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 the power and the art of relationship mm. building and why it's so very important to build relationships with people wherever you go in life and including the people that work for you. Uh, so I now operate with a central core principle in my leadership style, something called SEVA, which is a four-letter word, S-E-V-A or S-E-W-A, however you want to translate it. It's a, it's a Punjabi word, which basically means selfless service. And I often talk about this uh, in, in the sense that everything that I do now 
has to be uh, in accordance with the principle of Seva, has to be from a, a position of service. So when you start seeing leadership as service, then your whole take on leadership changes and your whole take on how you interact with people around you changes because you have to afford respect. You are serving the people that you are leading as opposed to the other way around. And that subtlety was a, was a game changer for me, it really was. And it is, continues to be that game changer for me going forward. What was your game changer? In this role that I'm in now, when I was um, put forward to be the MD, um, uh, the biggest thing for me was to let go of what I was doing. I was in control of mm. an awful lot and it wasn't sustainable. I couldn't do that and try to lead the organisation. And what that meant I had to do was trust the team that I'd put around the table to do what they should be doing. Uh, and people yeah. were promoted up, um, you know, so I moved from being IT director. Jason was made the IT director. We had the conversations, you know, he knew he was going to get support. We we're going to support each other. And I just had to let go and say, I trust you to do this. And that was more difficult than I expected, but it wasn't the trust element because I had a lot of time respect for these people that I work with. It was the letting go was the real challenge. Um, and that took a few months just to get to the point where I didn't have to know what was going on all the time. I'm not a control freak, but it's just what I've done for 20 odd years. And it's, it's a hard cycle to break, and it did take several months. You mentioned a word, this five-letter word, trust, which I think is it's so foundational in driving success as in, within teams. It is like a, a non-negotiable term for me now, building trust. Uh, and building trust when it comes to your senior team is 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 absolutely like irreplaceable to you cannot replace trust with anything else because with trust um you know if you read there's a really good book uh, called five dysfunctions of a team written by uh, patrick lenciani and he talks about you know any executive team that's not functioning um can be failing on any one of these five dysfunctions and he starts off with trust as the foundation and from trust uh you have uh, things like um the uh creating environments where you have the courage to have healthy conflict debates. And when you have healthy conflict debates, then you have the ability to be much more committed as individuals to the organisational goal. And if you are much more committed, then you are more likely to hold each other to account in a healthy way. And if you're doing all of those four things, then actually you'll all be focused in on the same goal. But he says, you know, without all, without trust, none of that exists because trust is where it all starts. And uh, Building that trust into any senior team is foundational. So what are you doing to build that trust? I think essentially it's demonstrating that that I do trust them. I mean, it's almost as simple as that. You know, I their responsibility, they, they know what their responsibilities are and I let them do that. And they come to me and we have weekly catch-ups and monthly catch-ups and they come to me and things are raised. But I always try to go back and say, well, what is your solution? I, I trust you to do that. You can come to me if you need to. And it's not just in the, the leadership team. Um, I was in the office last week and there's been a customer service query and um, Gemma, who's the senior leader in that department, was away. Uh, and and Kirsty and the team came to me and said, what do I do with this? 
Uh, and I could have easily said what to do, but I said, well, what do you think we should do? Mm. Um, and she came back and we had a conversation. It was all, but when I was in the office next, I sat down and spoke with her. And I said, Luke, why did you feel the need to come to me for that? It was a very relatively trivial thing. I said, look, I trust you to do it. Gemma trusts you to do it. That's what you're here for, make the decisions. And if you're at all in any doubt, if it's a trivial thing, make the decision and just mention it to, to Gemma after or to a colleague after, just to sense check it. If it's a big mm. thing, come to us with your suggestion before you act on it. But essentially, we're trusting you to do this. This, this is your role. This is what you are here for. And if you, we can get that from me to the leadership team and from the leadership team to, to the rest of the people in our organization, then everybody is going to push themselves. And I'm a big, I'm a big, I, I love I'm that. a big believer in failing. And when I first took over, I said, sent an email and said, I'm going to fail. Will you fail with me? That was the subject. And that went to them all and said, look, if we don't fail, we're not learning. Um, so please try stuff, um, try it, push yourselves, particularly at a personal level, fail, learn, move on. I love that. I mean, we, we talk about so many organizations where there are blame cultures and, and I've worked in those environments and it's not the healthiest of places to be. But when you have a, when you have a boss that genuinely tells you it's okay to fail, it's okay to make decisions, providing you're making them with the right, you know, motivation. It's okay to do that. And it's okay, therefore, if you fail as well. And of course, I'm going to fail and let's fail together. I mean, what a powerful message that is. Here's the thing. I mean, having spoken to your top team there, uh, I get a real sense that um, they they trust you and they know that they are being trusted by you. So clearly you're having an impact and I wish you really well with it. Uh, I'm going to be watching with uh, with, with such uh, interest in, on your journey. Now that I'm connected to uh, my staff shop, I should be watching what you're doing like a hawk because uh, I, I'm fascinated by, by this and the newness of it all. Um, I just want to touch upon a conference that you are holding because I, you know, I know that you're so committed. This is beyond just, you know, having an organization that drives benefits. It's, you are so committed to how people sh can and should feel in the organization that you've got a conference uh, that you're putting together. I'm actually speaking at this conference called Disrupt HR in Birmingham, which is on, if I remember right, 19th of October. That's correct. Um, what is that conference about, David, and uh, why would it be a good idea for people from organisations to attend that? So Disrupt HR is, a, is, a, is an organisation that um, they essentially franchise out their, their regions, and it, it, it's global, it's not just in the UK. Uh, and as the name suggests, it's about HR and it's about disrupting HR. Uh, and the premise of it is we get HR people or, or people related to HR, reward people, benefits people, compensation people, and they come in and they do a series of short, punchy pitches, which are educational or funny or talking about doing things different. And it's bringing the HR community together to have these conversations, to try and learn from each other how to make a difference and not just follow the the playbook of the last 40 years. You know, HR is evolving and, and there's no better way of learning from those evolutions than getting together and talking about it. Oh, much needed. And I'm so pleased to be a part of that because I have seen how HR has grown, you know, from the HR that I knew 40 years ago, uh, very policy driven, very defensive in its in its thinking 
to having HR professionals out there now who think in a wholly different way and understand that uh, it is about getting the very best out of people and, uh, and facilitating that process. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to being part of that. David, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, really has. And it's, uh, I couldn't have thought of a better get first guest for, to launch season one of the Human Centred Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much for being here and uh, I will no doubt see you soon. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. Take care. Have a great day.